Uh, well, all across our campuses this morning, we are starting off the new year with a sermon series that's called The Promises of God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the promises all throughout the, the scriptures, all throughout the Bible um, that have been revealed to us. And my prayer is that as we walk into 2021, we would walk in standing on the promises uh, of God. Today, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 29, 11. It is, it's quite a popular scripture. Uh, it's often quoted so many times. As you have walked in to the church this morning, you would have noticed Jeremiah 29, 11 printed quite big there in the foyer. It's quite a popular verse. And it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, one thing that is really important when approaching Scripture is that we read it in its entirety so that we have an understanding of the context with which it was written. Because context is going to help inform our understanding and the way that we interpret Scripture. You see, so many times we often hear this verse quoted, and particularly in instances where we need God to show up right quick, right now, where we want God to do a quick work, where we want Him to fix the situation, where we want God to make things better right now. And so with hopes that He will, we would often quote the Scripture and quote it over and over and over again. Um, and we believe that if we quote it enough times, God would hear us and ultimately come to the rescue when an actual fact this particular scripture meant the complete opposite. If you're anything like me, you probably would have applied what I like to call the so good lens to this portion of scripture. You know, everything is so good because it's part of God's plan. Everything is so good because God's got a plan for my life. You know, my life is good right now. Uh, my job is good right now. My family is good right now. My bank account is good right now. And we do it because, we, 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 and we slap Jeremiah 29, 11 on it. And we say, it's good because God's got a plan uh, for my life. But you see, this particular verse wasn't written to a group of people who had it so good. You see, in fact, this verse was written to a group of people who were in the midst of a crisis. And so to view this verse like a quick pick-me-up encouragement would be to make this verse say what I want it to say. I mean, it doesn't matter. If it means I have to change the meaning, then change it because I want this verse to say what I want it to say. And the danger of that is that we then have a self-orientated interpretation of the Scripture. Sometimes this, this verse has been used to kind of explain away everything that happens in life. You know, I lost my job, but hey, it's part of God's plan, Jeremiah 29, 11. Hey, I've just had a divorce, but it's part of God's plan, Jeremiah 29, 11. Hey, we've just had COVID-19, but hey, it's part of God's plan, Jeremiah 29, 11. And this, and this raises some questions. I mean, if it's part of God's plan, does this mean then that God planned for people to catch this disease and die from it? What kind of God would do that? What do you mean it was part of God's plan? Ain't nothing hopeful and future looking like COVID-19, uh, about COVID-19, uh, what plan? You see, context is important. And for Jeremiah 29, 11, this particular verse was written to a group of people who were in exile in Babylon. You need to understand that these people were the descendants of a man named Abraham. And I want to give you a bit of background. God in Genesis called this man Abraham and said to him, I want you to get up and I want you to go to a city that I want you to go to. And I will make you into a great nation. God was leading Abraham into a land that was later known as a land that was flowing with milk and honey. You see, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. 
He and his family found themselves in Egypt because of a great uh, famine that fell upon the land. Now, while they were in Egypt, a great ruler came to power, and this ruler brought so much oppression and slavery upon the Israelites. And after years and years and years of oppression, God then raised a man named Moses to lead the Israelite people out of the oppression. Uh, After many plagues, Moses leads the people as they escape through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. It is there in the wilderness where God then gives them the laws and the commandments. And nearing the end of his life, Moses then hands the baton over to a man named Joshua. And Joshua then leads the people, the Israelites, into the promised land, the same land that was promised to Abraham, the land that was flowing with milk and honey. But you see, after many, many years, The Israelites, they no longer wanted to be led by God or led by people who were messengers of God. They thought they wanted earthly kings until they got earthly kings. You see, because some kings led the people of Israel to love God and obey his commandments, but other kings led the people of Israel to disobey and to rebel against God, and they eventually committed adultery. And because of this, The Israelites continued to rebel against God and disobey God. And so God's judgment came upon these people, the people, the Israelites. In other words, God removed himself and said, okay, you're wanting these choices. You are making these choices. You are not heeding any of the warnings. So I'm taking my hands off and you will experience the consequences of the choices that you are making. And so they are then taken from the land of promise to a land that is called Babylon. They had lost everything. They lost their houses. They lost their livestock. They lost the temple, the place that they believed the presence of God dwelt. They lost it. It was burnt down. They've been taken from their land into Babylon. Can you imagine how much despair they would have felt? How much hopelessness they would have felt to have lost it all? But you see, it is into that context that God then sends forth his word through Jeremiah and says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You see, oftentimes when we quote the scripture, we skip the part that says 70 years. You see, God was saying to the exiles, I'm going to need for you to stay here, stay put here for another 70 years. But just so you know, after the 70 years has passed, I am going to come back and I'm going to fulfill my good promise to you. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. You see, Babylon is symbolic of hopelessness. It is a picture of loss and grief and frustration. You see, multiple times, you know, when I was preparing for this message, I thought to myself, how on earth would these people have received this message? You know, hey, I know you're in a bit of a crisis right now, but get comfortable because you're going to be here for another 70 years. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? I mean, even for the elderly, you know, hearing that they would be in exile for another 70 more years, and then to hear the word of the Lord say, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future and a hope, there would have been so much uncertainty. There would have been so much fear, so much 
hopelessness, so much confusion. In fact, the name Babylon itself means confusion. There would have been a sense of confusion. They would have had all sorts of thoughts running through their minds. Like, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, if this is your idea of a plan, I don't think I like it a lot. You see, how were they supposed to live in Babylon for another 70 years? What were they supposed to do? How were they supposed to live in Babylon? And you see, in earlier verses, it says this. The first thing that God asks of the exiles, he says to them, build. Jeremiah 29.5 says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. You see, God is saying to the exiles, build your houses, plant gardens and eat what they produce. God is saying to them, you're going to need to stay here for a season. So start building your houses, get your house in order, get your family together and start to build. The second thing that God asks of the exiles, he says to them, multiply. In Jeremiah 29 verse 6, it says this, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase a number there. Do not decrease. God is saying to the exiles, multiply, grow in number. I know you are in exile right now. I know you are in Babylon right now. But while you are here, don't waste away. Marry and have children. Increase a number so that you will thrive in Babylon. In fact, God says to them, do not decrease. The third thing that God asks of the exiles is this. He says to them, pray. Jeremiah 29 verse 7 says, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, God is saying to the exiles, pray for Babylon. Make yourselves at home in Babylon. Work for the country's welfare and pray for the country's welfare. If things go well for Babylon, things go well for you too. You see, God is asking the exiles to return to doing what was good and what was normal. The instructions he gives them here to build, to multiply, and to seek the prosperity of Babylon, all these instructions remind us of the creation mandate in Genesis. God makes mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and he said, prosper, multiply, fill the earth, take charge. You see, God is trying to remind the exiles at this point. I need for you to remember who it was that I created you to be. He was trying to remind the exiles of their identity. They had forgotten who they were. Their disobedience and rebellion against the Lord had caused them to forget who they were. And so God is trying to remind them in the midst of exile, He is instructing them to return back to what was good and what was normal. Go back to doing what I originally created you for. Build your house, be fruitful, multiply, grow plants in the land and eat of its fruit. Because after the 70 years, I am going to fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. It was like God was saying, look, I know that you've sinned against me. I know that you've rebelled against me, but I'm going to need for you to remember who it was that I created you to be. Because after the 70 years of exiles, even though you walked away from me, I still plan to reconcile you back to me, I need you to know that my plans are plans of peace, plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, now I know this sounds like there is so much emphasis being placed on the exiles. You see, the promises found in Jeremiah 29 were written for the exiles in Babylon, 
But it doesn't mean it isn't necessary or isn't relevant for us today. These promises, they give us a picture of who God is. They reveal to us the character and the nature of God. And so we too can rely on him. Because you see, the truth is, there is another group of people who are in exile. You see, for every person who has believed in Jesus Christ and accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts, for every believer, there is an important truth that we need to be reminded of. It is this, this world is not our home. And just like the many whose names are listed in the book of Hebrews, people who had great faith, people who acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, we too who have placed our faith on Jesus Christ, we are exiles on the earth. This is not our home. This is not our ending. This is not our destination. This is not our final reward. This is not our finish line. This is not our final stop. We are exiles on the earth. It's no wonder Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20 to 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In Hebrews 13, 14, it says this, for we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. So how must we live as exiles here on earth? You see, we can learn from the instructions that God had given the exiles in Babylon. You see, you build. Build your house, this house. Build the house of God. You and I, we are the house of God. You build You build it not with the resources of the world that ultimately lead to destruction. No, you build it with the God resources. You build it with the word of God. You build it by coming into relationship with God. You build it by coming into relationship with others. You build it through worship. You build it through prayer. You build it through giving. You build it through warfare. You build it through fasting. You build it on Jesus Christ, the solid rock. That's how you live a life here on earth as an exile. You see, you multiply You increase in number by telling people about Jesus. You win souls for the kingdom of God. You share the message of the gospel with people. You tell them of what God has done for you. You invite them to join us for church on Sunday. You invite them to join small group. You invite them to dinner and you hang out. You multiply, multiply, multiply. That's how you live as an exile here on earth. Lastly, you pray. You seek the welfare of the city that you are in. It means that we get involved in our community of Manarewa. We pray for our community of Manarewa. We love on our community of Manarewa. We do our best to serve the community, the people of our community. You see, one of the ways that we currently do this in church is through Elam Soup uh, soup Kitchen. And our team serve beautifully cooked meals for people in our community. And that's how you live as an exile here on earth. And I want to invite the team up and I want to close by sharing the story. Uh, When I was in China, we were there to do some mission work, and we had the opportunity to minister to a group of people. This group of people were isolated from society that had been removed from society because they were heavily affected by the disease of uh, leprosy. And so while we were there, we got a chance to minister to them, to share the gospel with them, to Uh, cook meals for them and just to minister to them. But I will never forget a man by the name of Shen. While we were there, we were in the worship and we were singing and I could not help but admire how Shen 
was worshiping God. He worshiped God with such an awe and a reverence. Even though his body was deteriorating from leprosy, and I, I, I wondered to myself, how could Chen be worshiping God like this in the midst of the circumstance, in the midst of the situation, in the current state that he found that he was in? How was he able to lift his eyes, lift his hands, and worship God? And I realized that as he began to share his testimony, you see, Chen was 16 years old when he was removed from society. And he was now in this village with, with, with other people who had leprosy. And he was 75 years old when we visited him. He had been away from his family for such a long time. He never got a chance to see his parents in their last and final moments. He never got a chance to see his sisters and brothers grow up. He never got a chance to have a family of his own. And you see, he began to share a testimony about an instance where someone had asked him this question, do you believe that God is going to heal you of leprosy? And Shen responded, and I'll never forget his answer, and he said, I believe God is going to heal me of leprosy. Praise his name. But even if he doesn't heal me of leprosy in this life, praise his name all the more, because I wasn't created for this world. You see, Chen looked at a situation and he looked at it through the lens of eternity and he realized that the situation that he was in, the this, this circumstance that he was in, this disease, leprosy, was not going to have the final say because there was another city that he was looking towards. You see, church, the story goes on to say this, that after the 70 years of exile, the Israelites returned to their land and they began to rebuild they began to rebuild the temple that was destroyed. The story of this exile demonstrates God's faithfulness, faithfulness to his people and the surety of his promise. You see, Jeremiah 29, 11 wasn't a promise that God was going to rescue the people of Israel from all the suffering and all the hardship and all the trials that they were about to encounter. But it was a promise that God had a plan for them. And regardless of the situation, he was going to work through that situation to prosper them and give them a hope and a future. You see, everyone lives with a faint sense of exile. Even people who have everything this world can offer are still unsatisfied. And the Bible has an answer to this. We have been exiled from the presence of God, and that is where we were made to be. And just like the Israelites, we too await the day where we will leave this foreign land to be with the Lord. But until that day comes, my prayer is that we would be a people who would not allow the foreign things of this world to stop us from building, from multiplying, and from praying. With every head bowed this morning and every eye closed, let's pray. God, we thank you that your promises are yes and amen. And Lord, we sure do believe that where man has placed the full stop, God, you've placed the comma. Because Lord, you ain't done with us yet. You have not forgotten about us, Lord. Disease will not have the final say. Sin will not have the final say. Death will not have the final say. God, you have the final say. And so we stand on your promises. And Lord, as we walk into 2021, Father, may we not be shaken. May we continue to place our hope and our trust in the living God. We thank you, God. And we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.